Today we're going to be in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel. And again, I just want to say uh, happy Mother's Day to, to all of the mothers. Um, I think being a child, uh, you don't quite appreciate uh, everything that uh, moms and dads do until you're a mom or a dad. And so uh, when I see how much my wife does for our family, um, mothers are to be uh, thanked and appreciated. Truly, they are a uh, blessing. Today, we are going to be talking to uh, mothers and uh, grandmothers or future mothers. But uh, really, there's something for all of us here. And so if you don't plan to be a mother one day, that's okay. All right. Uh, there's going to be something for you here today as well as we think about uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1. We're actually going to start with the, um, uh, the reading this morning, and so if you'll stand out of respect for God's Word, and uh, we're just going to read uh, just five verses to get us started this morning. This is 1 Samuel chapter uh, 1, verse 11, and it says this, starting in verse 11, And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him back to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking, her, uh, speaking in her heart only her lips moved, and her voice is not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. And Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drank neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have spent speaking out, uh, speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Let's stop there. Bless the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do thank you for the mothers that are here. We thank you for all uh, that they do. And, and even as I think about uh, mothers, there is a, a wide variety of mothers that are here. And so there are some mothers here, Lord, that, uh, that have biological uh, children. There are some mothers here that have stepchildren. There are some mothers here that have adopted children. There are some here that have never been married and never had children, and yet they continue to uh, impact the next generation. They, they instill their wisdom to the next generation and care for the women and children of this generation. And so, Lord, we thank you for all the mothers that are represented here. We pray that as the word of God is hoping, that they would, their hearts would be encouraged. But also, Lord, as, as we just as Christians uh, stop and, and we consider the things that Hannah went through, her trials, but also her hope, her trust, and her blessings. We pray that our hearts would be encouraged as we look at the life of this lady in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So my, today my hope is to honor um, all mothers as we remember Hannah's trial, uh, her faith, and the blessings that re she received 
uh, from God. And so today, as we get started, we do want to dive into it. And we're going to start with the uh, bad news today. And uh, it's progressively going to get, uh, not worse, <laughs> progressively going to get better. But uh, we do have to start off with uh, the trial that uh, Hannah is in. And so uh, we, we first stumble onto the trial of Hannah's in, in verse 2. So notice in verse 2 it says this, He had two wives, that is Hannah's husband had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the, other na the name of the other was Penana. Uh, and Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, I just want to tell you, as we get started this morning, um, I am terrible when it comes to the Hebrew names. Now, I'm pretty sure I just pronounced that correct, but I will probably pronounce her name several different ways this morning, so just bear with me. That is the other wife, and her husband is... Um, eh, um, Elkanha, and uh, I am probably going to pronounce his name several different ways this morning as well, uh, but just know that is uh, her husband. And uh, we see the trial that she's going through. It's pointed out here as we get started, but, let me see, let me, let me change the color here, but Hannah had no children. All right, so that's the trial that, that Hannah is in. Now, in today's world, um, that wouldn't be considered a a trial for some because some have decided uh, not to have children. But in this time, uh, women uh, were supposed to have children. And, and so women that were not able to have children were really looked down on in society. And so we see the very first thing uh, that is true about the trial that Hannah's having. Hannah had no children. And so in the culture, it was important for women to bear children. And so they were looked down on when they were not able to bear children. And why? Why is there such a change from maybe nowadays to what it was during this time? Well, during that time, children were really an important part of the family. Why? Well, when you had sons, they could protect the family. So they didn't have uh, some of the things that we have in place today, such as law enforcement. Instead, you had sons. They would help protect uh, the livestock. They would help to protect the farm. And so the more sons you had, the greater opportunity you had to protect your home. Because that was one of the reasons why it was important for mother or for a woman to, to have uh, children. But there was a second reason, and that was to help take care of the farm. Now today, we, we, uh, we go out and we, we, we go to Jack in the Box or McDonald's, we go to Walmart or CVS, and we buy things off the shelf. But that wasn't so during this day. They relied on the farm and the animals. And so they had large families that would help take care of not only the protection of their homes and their property, but also to, to take care of the farm and the animals. And so you can already see why if a lady was not able to have children, that in the culture of that day, they would be looked down on because they could not supply a very important need to the family, which was sons and daughters. And so we see that this is happening to Hannah. Hannah is someone that was not able to have children. And so in the culture of that day, she was looked down on. Now, 
in the fallen world today, and, and I should just say sometimes in life, even today, people cannot have, sometimes couples can't have children. And for those who really want children, though it may not be kind of the stereotype of today where the culture looks down on a woman because she can't have children, I understand that, that ladies that just are not able to have children or couples that are not able to have children, it is a, a big burden. It, it can lead to uh, sorrow. And, and I hope that as today we look at Hannah, there will be some encouragement uh, through the life of Hannah as we uh, consider those things. But in this fallen world, sometimes our hopes and our dreams they don't play out the way that we thought they would. And I'll share some of those illustrations at the very end of our message today of some people that I know personally that, that their, it, their, their hopes and their dreams just didn't play out the way uh, that they hoped it would, and yet they received God's blessing upon their life nonetheless. And so I bring this to our attention this morning because... The, the writer points out twice, back to back, something important. And it's often said, when the Bible refers to something once, we should listen. And when something is referred to twice, especially back to back, as we'll see right now, that we should pay attention, that there is an important idea here. And so I want to point out this idea, which is, Hannah was not barren on accident, all right? And so notice here in 1 Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 5, and it says this, but to Hannah he gave a double portion. Now what is happening here? This is Hannah's husband is giving her a double portion of what was sacrificed, and she, he is giving her a double portion of meat. And notice, because he, that is her husband, loved her. And then notice what is recorded for us though the Lord had closed her womb. Now, I want to point that out because that exact same phrase is said a second time in the exact same way. And so notice in the very next verse, it says this, And her rival, that is the other wife, Penene, used to provoke her and grievous, uh, grievously to irritate her and notice, because the Lord closed her womb. All right? Back to back, something is said about the circumstance of Hannah. Back to back, we are told that the reason why she can have children is because God has prevented her from having children. God has closed her womb. Now, why would that be important to our conversation today? Well, because we need to remember that in the believer's life, nothing happens by accident. And so the trials that we go through, whether, whether it's, it's uh, the trials of bearing children and the conflict that comes with that, or the, the weight and conflict of a couple that are not able to have children, we need to realize that ultimately God is working behind the scenes even if we can't see it. So sometimes in life, we don't always know why God does what he does. But he always has a purpose for the believer. And we touched upon this idea 
uh, a couple of weeks ago, or I guess maybe uh, last week, but in Romans 8.28, Paul points this out. He says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And again, as we pointed that out, that doesn't mean that everything that happens as a believer is good. All right? In Hannah's position, this is something that is really weighing on her and actually brought her to the point of sorrow. We're going to find out a little bit later that she is weeping and, and she is no longer hungry. Her appetite has, has gone away. This should be really a time of celebration and worship. But instead, for Hannah, it's really a time of mourning because she is missing something important in her life. And so I, I want to I bring this to our attention because we need to realize that nothing in our life happens by accident. And what the, the trial that Hannah is going through right now is not by accident. God has actually closed her womb and has told to us twice back to back that is the Lord who closed her womb. It is the Lord who closed her womb. But it's not just the fact that she couldn't have kids. Hannah's trial is more severe than that. Because we see that there's a second player in, in, in the uh, picture here, and that is Penene, the other wife. All right, the other wife. And so we find out in, in verse 6, and her rival, that is the other wife of her husband, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year, as often as she went after the house of the Lord, to use to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. So you can already imagine it, someone in this position, that here every day she sees this other wife, and this other wife has children, and she's unable to have children. But really to kind of pour some salt in, in the wound, you find out year after year, constantly this other wife is kind of poking and prodding poor Hannah, just irritating her because of the fact that she's not able to have children. And so it's not only a constant reminder to Hannah as she sees this other wife, but also the fact that the other wife just won't let it go. She continues to point out the fact that she is unable to have children. Now, I should point out, because this brings up a, a, a good point here, is we find this man has two wives. You know what? Whenever we see uh, someone with multiple wives in the Bible, there's always seem to be problems associated with that. And... Uh, Having more than one wife, I don't believe, was ever a good idea. They probably did it during this time because they needed enough children. All right, One of the reasons why they had uh, more than one wife is because sometimes women would die in, in, in childbirth and they didn't have facilities as we do today. And so there was always kind of like a, like a backup wife. But also, then you could have a bigger family. All right? You could have a bigger family. But I just want to point out that from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2, it is God who created marriage. And when God created marriage, he created marriage between one man and one woman. When, when God looked at Adam and said, there is not a helpmeet made for, for Adam, he didn't say, I'll go ahead and create two 
for him. No, he just created one for Adam. He knew Adam only needed one wife, Eve, all right? So from the very beginning, we see one man and one woman for life. I just need to point that out because we have a, a point here that we have a man with two wives, and it, <clears throat> things are not easy for Hannah because of this situation. And so I just want to point out from the very beginning, it was God's plan. One woman, one man, one woman for life, uh, not one man and two women. Two women cause problems, all right? Two women cause problems. Not because there's two women, okay? Don't take that the wrong way. I, I was looking at some illustrations and, and different things on, on this uh, portion of scripture, and, and uh, one pastor said, could you imagine men having two honeydew lists? Why did anybody ever think that was a good idea? But um, just, just between uh, two wives, there would be conflict. And of course, it, it wasn't just the fact that she was childless, and, and it wasn't just the fact that this other wife continued to poke and prod her, but we actually see that her husband is part of the problem. And so why is her husband part of the problem? Well, uh, we have Elkanai and uh, her husband, and notice what he does, all right? And so this gets back to when they're sacrificing. This is 1 Samuel. Uh, look down in your Bible at verse 4, and it says this, on the day when Elkanai sacrificed, he would give portions to Penai, his wife, and to, uh, and to all her sons and daughters, okay? To her side of the family. And then notice, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And so every year for poor Penani, she was reminded year after year that her husband actually gave this double portion to Hannah that really, no doubt, he loved both of his wives, but for Hannah, he just loved her a little bit more and would honor her a little bit more with a double portion, even though he had, she had never given him children. And so you can imagine with, with two women in the home and, and a husband doing this, that it would drive a wedge between these two ladies. And so all of this stuff that this other wife is doing, I think is partly due to what the husband is doing because the husband is favoring and showing more honor to one of the wives. And that just creates a wedge between these two wives. And so I, I believe that, that the husband truly does love his wife, and that is why, uh, Hannah, because that is why he gives her a double portion, but what he doesn't realize is that has a negative effect between these two women, that it is actually creating a wedge between them. And so this, it drove Hannah, Hannah to the place of weeping and, and sorrow, she, she, she didn't even uh, want to eat. Her, her hunger was taken away, and, and she was so focused on the fact that, that year after year this happens, and yes, my husband loves me. He gives me a double portion, but still, I'm unable to have children. And, and when I read verse 8, it, it makes me chuckle a little bit. It, it brings a smile to my face, and and let me tell you why. Because in verse 8, 
we see the typical husband response. When I say the typical husband response, this would be probably my response, and if you're honest today as a husband, this might be your response as well. Look at verse 8. This is how the husband responds to this trial in Hannah's life. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Now, do we know, or does, does uh, the husband know why she's weeping? Yes. And yet he asks her, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? He asks her in three different ways why she is going through this trial. And then in his last answer, he exposes the fact that he already knows. And he says this, am I not more to you than ten sons? And so he sees the problem. But he tries to encourage his wife, just like many of us husbands do, and say, honey, I know that there is a problem, but it is okay because I am here. And for Hannah, that can be reassuring. It's good that she has a loving husband, but it doesn't replace the fact that she is without kids. And that is something that she really, really desires in her life. And so this really comes out of a heart of love, I believe. But sadly, her husband misses the point that it's not about him, but it's really about what is missing in her life. And, and really, when we consider what is happening here, there's nothing that her husband can do in this situation other than to talk to the Lord about this. Because really, the husband has no ability to open the womb of Hannah, because remember, it is the Lord who has closed the womb. And so really what this husband should have done is really ran to the Lord and besought the Lord and prayed for his wife. Instead, he tries to encourage his wife, as I would do, but really just misses the point. And so uh, we see that trial working out. She's childless. That's the first trial. And then what kind of comes out of all of that is that this other wife is continuing to prod her and point out the fact that she is childless. It brings her to a point of just sorrow, and her husband doesn't even realize or understand what she is going through. And so when you consider this whole problem, when you consider this whole trial, there are many ways that the rest of the story could play out. So Hannah could give up on the Lord. I give up. I'm not following God anymore. Because I have asked the Lord to do this time after time, and he hasn't done this. He knows my needs, and he hasn't done anything. He allows this trial to go on year after year after year. I'm done. She could have responded that way, but we see what her response is. And we see Hannah trusts the Lord. Hannah trusts the Lord. And so we see this, uh, first of all, we see her response and her request, all right? We see her request to the Lord. And so that is uh, part of our reading this morning, starting in verse 11. And so I want to point out what her request is. And so she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, all right? So she's addressing the God of Israel. She says this, 
if you will indeed look on the affliction. All right? That's her first request. She says, Lord, here am I. Look at what I am going through. Look at the trial in my life. And then we see her second request. Remember me and not forget. All right? Look at me and don't forget me. All right? Look and don't forget what I am going through. And then we see her third request here, which is this. Give, um, give to your servant a son. All right? Give to your servant a son. So we really see that Hannah has three requests here. Look, remember me, don't forget me, and give me a son. And so her request is really coming to the Lord, I believe, in the right way. She is not demanding a child. But as she comes to the Lord, in her request, she's doing it in a very humble way. And so second of all, we see her humility and her trust in the Lord. Again, look at that same verse. We looked at her request, and remember, we said, when something is said once, we should listen. When something is said twice, we should pay attention. When something is said three times, that is for emphasis. That means that we really ought to sit up and pay attention. And we notice that she uses the same phrase three times as she talks to the Lord. So notice Hannah's humility as she talks to the Lord. She says this, O Lord of hosts, will you indeed look on the affliction of, notice the word she uses, your servant, and remember me and forget, or not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. Three times to emphasize the fact that she is not there demanding that the Lord answer her prayer request because she realizes that God is not a genie in a lamp, that she doesn't rub it and make a wish and God grants it. Instead, she realizes this, the God of Israel is to be honored and worshiped and that she sees herself as a servant of the God of Israel. And so three times she refers to herself as your servant, your servant, your servant. She comes to the Lord really in the right attitude, in the right spirit. Lord, look on my affliction. Lord, remember me and not forget. Lord, give to me. And she does this in an attitude of humility. Lord, I am your servant. And so in her trust, she brings a request. In her trust, she recognizes her position before the Lord. And then the third way that she shows trust is in her vow. All right? And so in her vow, and that's that last part of verse 11, I will give him, that is, I will give the son that you give to me to serve you all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. And so uh, she said, you know what, I'm going to do right. If, if you give me this son, I'm going to give this son back to you. This son will serve you with his life. And so again, she recognizes herself as a servant, but not only that, she recognizes this son as his servant as well. 
And so one thing that I do want to point out, and, and sometimes I, I wonder to myself, why bring in Eli in this whole uh, drunk episode where he thinks that she's drunk because she's praying, and, and uh, why not just think that she's there to worship the Lord? But as I kind of consider that, I think to myself that she did not lean on the crutch of the world. In today's society, sometimes when people are going through immense trial and sorrow, uh, they turn to something to relieve that trial. Sometimes it's entertainment, sometimes it's drugs, sometimes it's alcohol, just to get a relief from the trial that they're in. And that does, and some people take that route, and sometimes it does give a period of relief but it never fixes the problem because the problem was never addressed. And so for Hannah, she doesn't turn to strong drink and wine. Though, as Eli is seeing her mouth, he's, he's, he's standing there at the doorpost and he's observing her and he sees her lips moving, but he doesn't hear anything coming out and he automatically thinks this lady is drunk because of the way that she is acting. But she's not drunk at all. And so we see this in verse 14. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on be, uh, being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Now, he may have thought she was drunk because of a celebratory fashion, that maybe as she was um, eating and, and, and uh, having food, that maybe she had drunk too much and she just over-partaked in and, and strong drink or or in the wine, and so he said, hey, get rid of that. Or it could be because he knew, remember, year after year after year, she came and sacrificed with her husband. It is no doubt to me that he knew the trial that she was going through. He knew that she was childless. And it could have been that as she was there, she thought, or he thought, Eli thought, that she had turned to the crutch of the world, that she had muffled her sorrow with alcohol. Instead, notice what she says. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord. And notice that Lord is not capitalized. Instead, she is referring to Eli. No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. And so she doesn't take the crutch of the world. She doesn't try to dull her pain. She realizes that that doesn't solve things. And she knows the answer to her problem is that the Lord would open her womb, that the Lord would give her children. And so she is there, and the ESV says, pouring out her soul to the Lord. That means that she's not holding anything back. She's talking to the Lord and just opening up her heart and her sorrow, she's asking the Lord to give her a son. And so we see this. This is Eli's response in verse 17. Go in peace, and the Lord of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And so Eli blesses her. Eli knows the trial that she's going over year after year after year. Still, she is without children, he understands the trial that she is under, 
and he blesses her. It says, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And what I want to point out, because this really emphasizes her response. Remember, her response is to trust the Lord. And we're about to see the climax of her response. Because remember, before she goes in to pray to the Lord, this is the mind that she is in. This is her heart. Hannah wept and would not eat. She is very sorrowful before she goes in. After she, after she spends some time in prayer and pleads with the Lord and talks to Eli, we find her on the other side of the trial. And the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. She was trusting in the Lord. Now, did she have a, a, a son yet? No, she hadn't had a son yet but she was trusting in the Lord. She had made her request. Eli had said, you know, may it be so with you. And she rested in that fact. The Lord has heard me and the Lord will do as he sees fit. And she was resting in the Lord. And so as we think this morning about, first of all, the, the trial that Hannah is in, as we think about her trust in the Lord, we can't forget the blessing that God, God had upon her life. And so Hannah is blessed for her faith. And so in verse 19, we see this. And in, in, uh, Elkanai knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord, notice what is recorded for us, brings a smile to my face, remembered her. I point that out because remember what her prayer request was. God Look on the affliction of your servant. Remember me, do not forget me, and give me a son. And what is recorded for us is, and the Lord remembered her. The Lord granted to her her request. The Lord answered her prayer. And so we see in verse 20, And in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. And, and this is so great because Hannah's trust in the Lord didn't stop. All right? And so her trial may have ended, but she continued to remember the Lord. It wasn't the idea that, you know what, God is just for me. Uh, God's here for me in the bad times. And during the good times, I forget about God. Instead, when she was blessed, she immediately remembered this son is from the Lord. And she named him Samuel as a reminder that this was a, a son given to her by the Lord. And so she really realized that it was the Lord who had answered the prayer. That, it, that her faith was not in herself. Her faith was not in her husband. Her faith was truly in the Lord. And and Samuel was a remarkable man. He was a remarkable man for Israel. He did many different things. It is recorded for us in, in 1 Samuel 2.21. Indeed, the Lord visited... Oh, sorry. Before we get to that next verse, uh, we should point out that it wasn't just one son that was given to Hannah, but actually a family. So indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters and the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. And so Samuel was a very uh, special uh, son. 
And so in verse 28, it is recorded, and now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And so Samuel continued to grow. He continued to learn. He continued to serve the Lord. And Samuel was a prophet that confronted Eli of his sinfulness. He was a teacher that called the people to repentance. He was a priest who anointed kings. When we think about it, all of this came out of really a really sad and heartbreaking time for Hannah. But God blessed Hannah. And as a mother, you might ask, why did Samuel turn out so well? What was, well, why did Samuel turn out so well? And maybe even there's a comparison here because we have Eli and his sons. And, and Eli and his sons, his sons are like rotten to the core. And yet Samuel is someone who really honors the Lord. And, and what, what might be the difference here? Well, first of all, Samuel had a mother of faith. Mothers and grandmothers, your children need to see your faith in the Lord. That does impact their life. Not just for mothers, but also for fathers. We all go through trials, and our children see us go through those trials. And when we rely on ourselves, or when we rely on the crutches of this world, it teaches our children that we rely on those things. But when we rely on the Lord, it teaches our children to rely on the Lord. Children, we need to be thankful for the godly mothers we have and the godly grandmothers we have. There's a second reason why I believe Samuel went on to serve the Lord. And that's really because behind every child that follows the Lord, it was really the Lord working in their heart. Now, notice that Hannah started off by praying for this son. She poured out her soul to the Lord. But I don't believe that her prayers for Samuel stopped when he was born. I believe that, Samuel, uh, that Hannah continued to pour out her heart to the Lord about Samuel. That Samuel would be someone that would really serve the Lord and honor the Lord. And, and we as parents, we as mothers and fathers, we need to realize that really it must be God who does a work in our children's hearts. Solomon said this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. A fruit of the womb are... Uh, a fruit of the womb, a reward. And, and so as Solomon says this, he is reminding us that really children are a gift. That we as parents, we should be stewards of that gift that God has given to us. And how do we do that? Well, we do that by instructing them in the Lord, by showing them they can rely on the Lord by faith, just as we do, but also interceding for them just as Hannah did for Samuel. And so we as mothers, we as fathers, we ought to consider that prayer is important and not undervalue prayer. Children really are a blessing from the Lord. And as I look out today, I know some of your backgrounds. I know some of you. And so some of you here today, 
you don't have children. Some of you do have children. Some of you have adopted children. And so I wanted to just really just honor all mothers today. Whether you're a mother and you have biological children, or praise the Lord, that is a gift from God. If, if you're a mother here and you have adopted children, praise the Lord, that's a gift from God. If you have stepchildren, they may not always feel like a gift from the Lord, but they are a gift from the Lord. And if you're a lady here, and maybe you, you, you just never got married, maybe the Lord just, just never brought a, a man into your life, and so you never, you never had an opportunity, but you today still impact the next generation. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for your love that you have for this next generation. And so really, I don't want to just honor ladies that have biological children. I want to really honor all ladies this morning. And why? Well, you know, there's, there's a, a close family uh, to, to Brooke and ours, and, and uh, they, were not, they were not able uh, to have children. Some, some things happened early uh, in their marriage, and, and the Lord uh, closed uh, the womb of, of the wife, and they were unable to have children. But God still blessed their life in a fantastic and amazing way. And so they prayed and they sought the Lord and they saved up. And God gave them money to be able to adopt three children. Luckily, I was there for the, the time when the first child was brought home. And I was part of, of that celebration when that new life was brought into their family. And then, if I remember correctly, me and my wife uh, were there for their second child. As he was brought into their life, we got to be there and celebrate with them. By the time the third child came into their life, uh, we had moved, I believe, back to California, or they had moved to Virginia, and uh, so we weren't able to celebrate with them. But today, if you go on Facebook and you look them up, and I'm not going to give you their names, so you can't do that, but they love those kids. Those kids are their kids, and they see that as God's blessing upon their life. I also know of a woman uh, who never adopted, and, and she was married to, to a man who was previously married, and so he had two stepchildren. And this lady, as she talked to her husband, they decided that they were not going to have any kids together. Instead, what they were going to do is raise these two stepchildren as their children. And for this lady, she had such a fulfillment in loving and raising these two children. Though they had another biological mom, they, she loved these children no less. And she poured her life into those children. And then I know other ladies who just never were able to have children, or they were never married, but they loved. They love to work with kids. They love to honor the Lord with the abilities that they have been given. And so really, whether you're a lady here and, and you have biological children, whether you're a lady here and you have adopted children, whether you're a lady here and you have stepchildren, or whether you're a lady here and you just never had children within the home, really all of you are a blessing, and you all play such an important part. Hannah played an important part in Samuel's life. She relied on the Lord through her trial. God blessed. And now again, 
sometimes things don't work out the way that we plan for them. But we should know that God is always working behind the scenes. That for the believer, there are no accidents. And so take, take hope in the fact that if you're able to have children, if you're able to, to invest in the next generation, see that as really a blessing, for the, uh, blessing from the Lord. And thank you, moms, for all that you do. May God bless you as you trust him and as you serve him. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you for all the mothers that are here. And there's so many mothers, different types of mothers that are represented today. So we thank you for the important parts uh, that each of them uh, play. And so we think about the mothers who are, were, have raised children, and now they're grown up, and maybe they even have grandchildren of their own. Thank you for all the grandparents, grandmothers that are here. Lord, we think about those mothers that are at home. I mean, they're in the trenches right now trying to raise children to be godly uh, daughters and, and godly sons in this crooked world. And we pray for wisdom for them, for peace for them as they continue to raise their children. Give them that, that strength to be able to day after day not only uh, do the, the job of, of the home and, and the job of a wife, but also the job of a mother. And so we pray that you would bless them. Lord, I also pray for those that maybe, maybe they did struggle. Maybe they were like Hannah and they struggled over the years, or maybe they were just never able to have children. I pray that you would be with them today, that they'd be able to see your hand upon their life. And, and even if they never understand why, why this trial had come into their life, I pray that on the other side of glory and, and even now today, that they would rejoice and, and, and trust in you because they understand that you are a sovereign and good God. You are a God who works out all things to good for your honor and your glory. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just bless these mothers and these ladies here today. Thank you for all that they do. Thank you for what they mean to us, whether we're in the home or whether we're all grown up. Thank you for what our moms do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.